Welcome to the Crossing Church Podcast. This week, special guest Dr. Christopher Yuan tells his family testimony and shares the importance of finding our identity in Christ. We hope you enjoy this weekend's message. America, where money grows on trees and street was lined with gold. Well, at least that's what I perceive when I first passed through Ellis Island of New York City on October 30th, 1964. <laughs> but I quickly realized how wrong I was. <laughs> the first night I stayed in my friend's run-down apartment in the, in the slum of Harlem. Even more surprising was the day after, October 31st, when little people were massacring doorbells and said, trick or treat. I said to myself, what have I got myself into? <laughs> Angela, my college sweetheart, came a few months later to America. We married the next year. I also assumed, just because we were in love, we will simply live happily ever after. How naive I was. <laughs> we were not Christian then after years of unresolved issue and self-centered living. Our marriage was a disaster. So with encouragement from both of our sons, we began the paperwork for divorce after 28 years of marriage. So on that year, May 15th, 1993, our son Christopher came home after his first year in dental school. He made an announcement, I am gay. Since our marriage was hopeless, I did not work as a team with my wife to face this enormous challenge. Not only did I not comfort her, but I also accused her making our son gay. Christopher, my son's declaration affirmed my belief that we shall all go our separate ways. Let him be, because there's nothing I could do about it. Besides, isn't it more important to be happy? But my wife responded quite differently. You will never think that three simple words, I am gay, could cause so much pain. I actually thought I could threaten Christopher with the automaton to choose the family or choose homosexuality. But Christopher already bought into the lie that he couldn't change, that he was born gay. So he said, if you cannot accept me, I have no other choice but to leave. Without any hesitation, Christopher picked up his bags and left. Nothing can describe how I felt at that moment. It was worse than receiving news of Christopher's death. He could have cut me with a knife. It would have hurt less. In my mind, Christopher, who was closest to me, and my last ray of hope had also betrayed me. I was at the end of my rope as my world fell apart around me. I had no more reason to live, so I determined to do the unthinkable. I was going to and my life. Even though I was not a Christian at that time, I felt the need to meet with the minister, 
could give me a pamphlet on homosexuality. Then I bought a one-way Amtrak ticket to Louisville, where I planned to say goodbye to Christopher for the last time before ending it all. With only my purse and the pamphlet from the minister, I bought on the train, thinking that death was the only answer to all my problems. Never be much a reader. On the train, I began to read the pamphlet, which explained the plan of salvation, that all of us are sinners, yet God loves us in spite of our sin. God opened the eyes of my heart. Then I realized that just as God loves me in spite of my sin, I could love Christopher in spite of him living as a gay man. After arriving in Louisville, I called a number from the back of the pamphlet and was connected to a Christian lady who began to disciple me. For six weeks, I immersed myself into the Bible and felt as if I couldn't soak up enough. You see, I went to Louisville expecting to end my life. In reality, I did. One of my favorite verses today is Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. After six weeks, I got a phone call from the lady who was discipling my wife. The lady was very, very excited. She told me, your wife has surrendered her life to Jesus Christ. She has been saved. I was not very pleased. I told her this is not a good news. This is my worst nightmare because from now on, she has God on her side. <laughs> but what I realized, her transformation was not a Sunday only change, but affected every aspect of her life. What she had was not religion, but an intimate relationship was Jesus Christ. Little did I know God was also work on me. So a friend of ours, that's all, I started to go to church with her, and a friend of ours invited us to a Bible study called BSF, Bible Study Fellowship, where we grow deeper into the understanding and love of God and His Word. Well, study the Bible in my church and in BSF. I also surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. God, God became the glue, kept our marriage together by drawing both of us to Himself. This was God's way for preparing us for the difficult years ahead as our son Christopher walked further and further away from God. For my childhood years, I was like most other Chinese American kids. Obey your parents, do well in school, and of course, practice piano. <laughs> you see, I didn't fit in with the other American boys. Obviously, I looked different, I acted different, and I had different interests. God had given me the gifts of music, of sensitivity. And Satan cannot take away those God-given gifts, but he can twist the perception of them. And from a young age, I was viewed and ridiculed as being effeminate. 
The first time I remember having these attractions was when I was nine years old, after I came across pornography at a friend's house at nine. At that young age, I was confused and afraid of those feelings. Without any parental guidance on sexuality, those magazines gave me a distorted view of sex, and they soon became my master. With pornography fueling my desires, I had my first encounter when I was 16 years old, but I kept my feelings hidden through high school, college, even the Marine Corps Reserves. In my early 20s, I no longer kept it a secret, and I came out of the closet. I began living openly as a gay man in the gay community. I spent most of my free time in the gay clubs, and I went from relationship to relationship seeking intimacy and happiness, which I found, but it still left me feeling unfulfilled and unsatisfied, so I began experimenting with drugs. And to be really clear, not all gay men do drugs or are promiscuous. Some, some do, some don't, but it is part of my story, and I need to tell you my whole story, but I also need to tell you when you encounter Jesus, he will impact every aspect of your life. So I began experimenting with drugs like my classmates. I didn't have much money. And if I was going to do drugs, I had to find a way to support my habit. Well, I did that by selling drugs. And I sold to friends, classmates, even a professor. See, I actually thought I could live this double life of being a graduate student by day and a promiscuous drug dealer by night. But three months before I was received my doctorate, the administration of the school expelled me. So my parents flew from Chicago, where we were from, to Louisville, where I was going to dental school. And I thought that my dad, that, we, that, that they were gonna fight to keep me in school. You see, my dad's a dentist. He knew the dean very well. All they needed to do was to threaten a lawsuit and I would stay in school for three months and get my doctorate. Besides, isn't that what any good Chinese parents should do anyway? <laughs> but to my surprise, as we sat there in the dean's office, my mom looked at the dean and said, it's not important that Christopher becomes a dentist. What's more important is that Christopher becomes a Christ follower. And she said, they're gonna support whatever decision the school made. You see, my mom knew that when it comes to her children, nothing is more important than her children following Jesus. Even more important than education, even more important than career. You know, the sad reality is many people may go to church on Sunday and worship God, but then they'll actually return home and worship idols the idol of education, the idol of career, the idol of their 401k. And in essence, we often are forcing our children to do the same. You may ask how? Parents, are you putting more emphasis on a daily, weekly basis on your children, getting their homework done and getting a better grade, all good things, or should Christian parents be putting more emphasis, actually the most emphasis upon our children following Jesus? It's no wonder why many children raised in the church go off to college and they leave their faith behind because maybe they weren't really worshiping God at home in the, in the first place. Nothing is more important than following him. But honestly, I was not happy about my mom's decision. She wasn't on my side, I felt. She was on the school side. So I moved further away from them to the bright lights in big city of Atlanta, Georgia. And there I quickly took over the drug scene in the gay community and I became a supplier to other dealers in over a dozen states. In addition, it was nothing for me to have multiple anonymous sexual encounters each and every day. Because according to the world, I had it all. Money, fame, drugs, and sex. I'd exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and I began worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. Because in my world, 
I had become God. Leon and I had no idea that Christopher was doing drugs, but we knew his biggest need was to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. So I sent him Christian cards several times a week, and I filled them with encouraging words and scripture and hymns. At the bottom of each card, I signed, Love you forever, Mom. But little did I know. He never read them and simply tossed them into the trash. My wife and I knew the only way, if we want to see our son, we have to fly from Chicago to Atlanta, so we did. But on the second day, he kicked us out, not even allow us to call a friend to pick us up. Before leaving, I offered Christopher my very first Bible. Now, surprisingly, he refused. But I left it on his counter anyway and walked out. We found out later he took my Bible and threw it into the trash. It was more than obvious that he was totally unreachable and completely hopeless. But my wife and I committed not to focus on our own hopelessness, but on the promises of God. Along with over a hundred prayer warriors from our church, from BSF, we all cry out to God for our son Christopher. My wife began to pray a very dangerous but very bold prayer. Lord, do whatever it takes to bring this prodigal son back to you. In her desperation, she fasted every Monday for eight years. And once fasted 39 days for our son Christopher. Every morning, she would literally spend hours inside her prayer closet, on her knees, reading the Bible, interceding for Christopher, praying for herself, for me, and for many, many others. She wrote out some of her prayers, and following is one of those prayers. I was staying in the gap for Christopher. I was staying until the victory is won, until Christopher's heart changes. I was staying in the gap every day, and there I will fervently pray. And Lord, just one favor, don't let me waver. If things get quite rough, which they may, I would never give up on that son, nor well, you, though the enemy seeks to destroy, I will not quit as I intercede, though it may take years, but I give you my fears and tears as I trust every moment I plead. I pray those prayers for eight years, and it seemed that God was not answering them, but during those years, God did answer my prayers just not in the way I expected. His answer for me was, wait, be still, and know that I am God. Looking back upon those years when I prayed for change, God did bring change. The change was not yet Christopher, but the change was in me and my husband. What God intended for that time was that we will be changed. 
that we will be transformed, that we will be trophies of God's mercy. As what Chambers said, we are not here to prove God answers prayer. We are here to be living monuments of God's grace. As we live out those years waiting, we learn to walk and live as monuments of his grace as God drew us to himself each and every day. Often answer to prayer doesn't come quickly, and this definitely was not an exception. But my parents were unwavering in their faithfulness to intercede on my behalf. Like the persistent widow, my mother bombarded heaven with their prayers. She knew that it was going to take nothing short of a miracle to bring this prodigal son to the Father. And a miracle is exactly what God did. This miracle came with a bang on my door. I opened up my door and on my doorstep were 12 federal drug enforcement agents, Atlanta police, and two big German shepherd dogs. I just received a large shipment of drugs, not my largest, but they confiscated all my money and my drugs and I was charged with the equivalent of 9.1 tons of marijuana. With that amount, I was facing 10 years to life in federal prison. I had started with a bright future among society's finest in academia, and I found myself in the ditch among society's despised in Atlanta City Detention Center. So I tried calling my friends. You know, those type of friends that say, whenever you need something, just give me a call. Those friends that actually get me more into trouble than anything else. Well, what I didn't know was I had a praying mother at home. Watch out. And she knew that as long as I had those type of friends around, I would find no need for God and no need for my parents. Remember, she loves bold prayers. Well, she prayed specifically years ago that somehow, some way, God would cause all of those friends to desert me. And on that day, not one friend answered my collect call. So you moms out there, beware of your prayers. They're going to come true. <laughs> so I was down to the bottom of the list. Home. And I did not want to make that phone call. As I just imagined the earful that I was going to get on the other line. But my mother's first words were, Son, are you okay? No condemnation. No braiding words. Just words of unconditional love and grace. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 2 verse 4, that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Notice how Paul isn't saying that it's God's anger. It's not God's wrath, but it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And even on that miserable day, God was pouring out his grace and drawing me to himself through the words of my mother. Actually, my mom was Excited to get that phone call, if you can believe it or not, because I hadn't called home in years. And she knew without a doubt that this was God's answer to her prayers. So as she hung up that phone, fighting back the tears, she knew she had to do like that good old hymn says. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. No matter what storm she was going through, 
no matter what heartache she was enduring, she had to count her blessings. So she set the phone down and next to the phone happened to be a, a calculator. And she tore off a little piece of the adding machine tape and she wrote down these first blessings. Christopher is in a safe place <laughs> compared to before. <laughs> and he called home for the very first time. As my years in prison passed, she kept counting her blessings. Today, this list of blessings is longer and taller than she is. Both sides. Three days later, I was walking on the cell block and I passed by this garbage can. And as I looked at this trash, I thought to myself, this is my life. I'm from upper middle class suburb of Chicago. My father has two doctorates. I was only three months away from receiving my own doctorate. I had it made. But now I found myself among common criminals. Trash. With my head down, I was about to pass by this garbage can. But something on top of the trash caught my eye. I bent over, I picked it up. And it was a Gideon's New Testament. I took that New Testament back to my cell. I opened up that good book for the first time. I read through the entire Gospel of Mark that night. But let me tell you, I wasn't thinking this is the Word of God. And I certainly wasn't thinking this is the answer. Actually, I simply thought I've got an enormous amount of time on my hands and I better pass it somehow. But as some of you know, what we have in our Bibles is not just ink on paper, but what we have in our Bibles, ladies and gentlemen, is the very breath of God. And it is living and powerful and sharper than any double-edged sword, able to cut through the hardest of hearts, exposing my sin, my rebellion, and it wasn't a pretty sight, and I thought things couldn't get any worse. I was wrong. A couple weeks later, I was called into the nurse's office. The prison guards handcuffed me, chained my hands around my waist. The nurse shut the door behind me, sat me down, and I knew something wasn't right. She was uncomfortably struggling with the words. She couldn't even give me eye contact. So she resigned to writing something on a piece of paper and slowly slid it across the desk to me. I looked down, and I saw three letters and a symbol. It read HIV positive. A few days before Christmas, I received Christopher's phone call from jail. The noise in the background could not cover up his sad and hopeless words. Mom, I am HIV positive. His solemn and weak voice trailed off as my body went limp. I felt dizzy, and the world around me seemed to stop. Ever since Christopher told us he was gay, I had lived with constant fear that Christopher might one day contract this deadly virus. My worst nightmare was now a reality. Christopher was sentenced to six years in federal prison 
but news of his HIV status was like a death sentence, a verdict I could not accept. Hang on the phone, the pains of grief torn at my broken heart like a knife. Aimlessly, I stumbled up the steps and dragged my heavy body into my prayer closet. Under the cross, I fell to my knees as stinging tears blurred my eyes. This affliction was more than I could bear. In the silence of my sorrow, a melody began to play in my heart. The soft and sweet string of a hymn filled my ears and repeat over and over. It is well, it is well with my soul. Attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with. My soul, please sing with us. It is well, it is well with my soul, with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. One more time. It is well. It is. Soul with my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul. A few days after receiving that devastating news, I was in my prison cell all by myself just contemplating the mess that I've made on my life. As I lie there, I look at the cold metal bunk above me. There's graffiti, profanity, gang symbols. But someone had written something else in the corner, and it read, if you're bored, read Jeremiah 29:11. For I know plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You see, at the most hopeless point in my life, the Lord God was using the words penned by a prophet thousands of years ago to a rebellious nation, Israel, to tell me that if God could have a plan for Israel, in rebellion, in exile, he could have a plan for me. I had no clue where that plan was going to take me. 
But God gave me enough faith, enough strength to get through that one day and the next and the next. My transformation was gradual. God was convicting me of my dependencies. Obviously drugs, but in a few months, God delivered me from that addiction. God kept bringing to mind other idols, and there was this one thing that I felt like I just couldn't let go of, and it was my sexuality. So I went to a prison chaplain, and I asked him his opinion. But to my surprise, this prison chaplain actually told me the Bible doesn't condemn homosexuality. He even gave me a book explaining that view. So with much curiosity, I took that book in the hopes of finding biblical justification for homosexuality. I had that book in one hand and the Bible in the other. And can I just tell you, from a human perspective, I had every reason in the world to accept what that book is claiming to justify the way I had been living. But it was God's indwelling Holy Spirit that convicted me that those assertions from that book were a clear distortion of God and his word. I couldn't even finish that book, and I gave it back to the chaplain, which meant I turned to the Bible alone. And I went through every verse, every chapter, every page of scripture looking for justification. I wanted to find anything that might bless a monogamous same-sex relationship. So I went through the whole Bible. I went cover to cover several times. I had time. I looked, and I looked, and I looked, and I couldn't find any. So I was at this turning point, and a decision had to be made. Either abandon God and his word, live as a gay man, pursue a monogamous same-sex relationship, by allowing my attractions, get this, by allowing my sexual attractions to dictate not only who I was, but also how I lived. Or abandon pursuing a monogamous same-sex relationship. How? by freeing myself from my sexuality, by not allowing my desires to control who I am and live as a follower of Jesus Christ. My decision was clear and obvious. I followed Jesus. As the days and the weeks and the months of abstinence passed, I realized that my sexuality should not be the core of who I am. I told myself before, God loves me unconditionally. That's true. But don't we as sinners like to add God's truth? I added, so therefore he doesn't want me to change. Similar to your friends who say, God loves me just the way I am, so leave me alone. But after reading the Bible several times, I learned that unconditional love is not the same thing as unconditional approval of my behavior. Let me say it again. Unconditional love, it is not the same thing as unconditional approval of my behavior. See, my identity shouldn't be defined by my sexuality. My identity shouldn't be grounded in my desires. My identity is not gay. It is not ex-gay. It's not even heterosexual for that matter because my identity as a child of the living God must be in Jesus Christ alone. God says, be holy, for I am holy. I thought in the past that if I were to become a Christian, that I would have to become heterosexual. What does that mean? Well, I needed to be sexually attracted to women. As a matter of fact, I thought the more sexually I attracted to lots and lots of women, the more of a Christian man I would be. 
But I realized that even if I had opposite sex attractions, I would still need to flee temptation and resist sin. So actually, heterosexuality might be the right direction, but it's not correct. God never commands us anyway, be heterosexual for I am heterosexual. But neither did God ever say, be homosexual for I am homosexual. Instead, God says, be holy for I am holy. Thus, the opposite of homosexuality, it's not heterosexuality, that is not the goal, but the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. As a matter of fact, the opposite of every sin struggle is holiness. I don't need to focus upon whether I'm struggling, whether I'm tempted, but I need to focus upon living a life of holiness and living a life of purity. Because change, it's not the absence of temptations. God doesn't promise you, oh, just come to Jesus and you'll never be tempted again. No, Jesus himself was tempted in every way, but he was without sin. So it's not the absence of temptations, but it's the spirit wrought ability to be holy even in the midst of temptations. Because the ultimate issue is not whether I'm struggling, not whether I'm tempted, but the ultimate issue is that I yearn after God in total surrender and complete obedience. As I began to live this life of surrender and obedience, God began to reveal his plan for my life. And he called me to full-time vocational ministry while I was in prison of all places. And I realized it didn't matter where I was, whether I was in prison or out of prison, because my calling would remain the same regardless of the location. And with that change of heart, God did another miracle and he shortened my prison sentence from six years to three years, which is almost unheard of in the federal system. So with only about a year left of my prison sentence, I knew that if I was going to continue on in ministry after prison, I'd better learn about, more about the Bible than just prison religion. So I called them, collected my parents, and I asked them to mail me an application to Moody Bible Institute. But then there was silence on the other line because I think they both dropped their phones. <laughs> they mailed the application into Moody Prison. I was so excited when I got it, tore it open, began filling it out, until I got to the last page where they asked me for references. Not from anybody, but these had to be people who knew me as a Christian for at least one year. I some slim pickings in prison, but I was able to persuade a prison chaplain, a prison guard, and another prison inmate to write my reference to Moody. So amazingly, Moody actually accepted me. I was released from prison in July of 2001, and I started the very next month in August of 2001. So imagine the surprise of my classmates when I answer their question, what did you do this summer? <laughs> I graduated from Moody 2005, went on to my master's in exegesis in 2007, received my daughter ministry in 2014, and then praise the Lord, hallelujah. But then back in 2011, I had the incredible honor and privilege of co-authoring a book with my mom called Out of a Far Country, A Gay Son's Journey to God, A Broken Mother's Search for Hope. It's, in, it's over uh, 120,000 copies in print, actually seven different languages, Spanish, Korean, Chinese. And there's, uh, we co-authored it together. She wrote chapter one, I wrote chapter two, she wrote, chapter, she wrote all the odd chapters, I wrote the even chapters, and they're interwoven narratives with alternating chapters because we wanted to tell you from our own voice how you can have the same situation told from two totally different perspectives, apparent to prodigal, but you know the best part? Is how God and his power and his grace brought us all back together. This book is now, we have a study guide at the back, and this book and the study guide is being used as a textbook in junior highs and, and high schools. I know, isn't that amazing? Who thought? I mean, our story, when we wrote our story, we did not think that it would be used as a textbook. But it makes sense. Parents, I hope you realize this. Our children 
are being flooded with resources on sexuality. I mean, it's almost even mandated in pre-K to talk about, you know, two mommies, two daddies. You know, the teddy bear that used to be a boy and now is a girl. And unfortunately, because we don't know what to say, our silence is screaming to our kids, don't learn sexuality from us, but learn it from the world. There are so few stories that our kids are hearing. You know, TV, kids don't even watch it. It's YouTube that our kids are watching. You know what we call the YouTube stars? Anyone know what we call them? Influencers. That label is so accurate. They are influencing a generation. When you look at the top influencers, you'd be surprised at how high percentage of them are gay affirming, LGBTQ actually identifying or affirming. And so we need to be proactive in engaging and communicating to our kids and telling them the story about biblical sexuality. You know, I'm convinced that the job to teach sexuality should not be long in the hands of the public schools. Amen? I don't know if you get, it should not be long in the hands of the public schools and it shouldn't belong in the hands of YouTube or Hollywood. You know whose hands it should rest in? Parents. I'm gonna add something, not just parents. You know who else? Grandparents. How many grandparents do we have in here? Any great grandparents? You know why? You have too much time on your hands. You gotta do something. But seriously, grandparents, you know why? Think back when you were younger, kids, teenagers. At that age, how often did you and your, peer, and your peers listen to parents at that time? Maybe grandparents, you have more of a listening ear to the grandkids than the parents do. Are we using that to throw a lifeline to our youth who are drowning in a tsunami of misinformation and lies? Any one of you, any grandparents, any fathers that want to change that? Anyone? Raise your hand if you want to change that and say, you know what, no more. I'm not going to let the world take my responsibility. I'm going to take it back. Any one of you want to take it back? Praise the Lord. We need to throw this life on. I gave this challenge in Oklahoma, and, this, and, and I gave this challenge, and this, uh, this grandmother made a beeline back to our book table, and she, she went like this. She's like, I need 10 books. And I was like, wow, you just need one. No, young man, I need 10. One for myself, nine for my grandchildren. I'm going to mail every one on the book. I'm going to read it with them, and then I'm going to discuss the study guide with them. That's a grandmother that's taking seriously the God-given responsibility we all have to not just waste it, but to seize this opportunity. Silence is no longer an option. Amazingly, God has given us back the years that the locusts have taken away. My parents and I, we travel around the nation, around the world, talking about God's grace and God's truth on this issue of sexuality. And my newest book, you might think, well, I don't know what to say. My newest book is for adults. It's called Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, talking about how do we talk about sexuality and not just what not to do. Don't do this, don't do that, don't, because we can't build a Christian life on God's no, but what is God's yes 
And it's quite simply chastity and singleness or faithfulness in marriage. And that is good news for all. But God has such a sense of humor because he's brought me back to Moody where I taught for 12 years in the Bible department. So I went from prisoner to professor. How about that for a resume? <laughs> but God has done far more abundantly beyond all that we have asked or thought. You know, I look back upon my life, our lives, far apart from Christ, and I see a lot of really bad decisions that I made. One of those being HIV positive. That have resulted, bad decisions that resulted in some big consequences like being HIV positive. But I realize actually, I'm no different than any of you. All of our days are numbered. You know, it took contracting this virus that has no cure for me to realize a really important truth. That as a child of God, I must live with the sense of urgency. You know, our days are numbered. God has, might have given you 70, 80, 90 years. Not just waste and squander, chasing after the things of the world, but chasing after Jesus and telling others about him. Maybe you're here tonight. Maybe you're here today, this morning, whatever. And, and maybe you're brought here by someone. Maybe you've been coming to church for quite some time and you haven't really, really committed your life to Jesus. I'm not going to assume everyone in here has made that decision to follow him. Maybe you've heard all these things, but you've never responded to the gospel. The gospel that God is our creator, that we're not just kind of just put together or just come from apes, but we are created by our living God, and yet we sinned and rebelled. But God being a holy God, he can't, he can't deal with sin and, and imperfection, and there needs to be a penalty for that. But he didn't want us to face that penalty, so he sent his son Jesus for me, for you, for the whole world. This is not just a message for the gay community. This is a message for humanity. But with that good news, that means we need to receive it. And maybe you've heard that before. The pastors have been preaching it here, but maybe today you, you have never said, you know what, God, I believe. I want to confess with my mouth and then believe in my heart that your son is my savior. And I want to give us that opportunity right now to do that. And so if you can just bow your heads, we're all going to say this prayer after me. God, I know I'm a sinner, but I know you sent your son the savior to die for me in my place on the cross and I believe that he rose on the third day so that I might live. Help me to live the rest of my days for you. 
If you would like to learn more about Dr. Christopher Yuan and hear the breakout sessions that he taught at The Crossing Church, visit wearecrossing.com slash identity. You can also watch this on-demand message and all of our live services on our YouTube channel. You can go to youtube.com slash crossing church to subscribe. Thanks for joining us. We can't wait to see you for noon prayer every Wednesday at our Tampa campus and for our weekend services.